Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. Hopefully you've read that far in your Bible. It's the very first book. If you'll grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. You're going to be looking for chapter 22, chapter 22 in the book of Genesis this morning as, as we look together at, at uh, fathers and, and talk to you talk to you fathers today it's not often I get to get in the pulpit like I said last week and speak directly to one group of people got to do it to the graduates last week get to speak to the fathers this week but I think you'll find that this message is applicable for all of us not just to the fathers in the place so if you found Genesis chapter 22 we'll start reading in the very first verse and in the honor of the reading of God's word if you would stand with me as we read uh, God's word this morning Genesis chapter 22 Starting in verse number one, it says this. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went Together, Father, this morning you have blessed us through our fellowship, through our Sunday school, through our singing, through our children's time, and now we ask your blessing upon the Word. Father, do that by making very little of me and very much of you this morning. Father, that we may see you in all of your glory. Change hearts and lives for all of eternity today, Father, that you may be lifted high, that your name may be lifted up, and the name of Jesus may be proclaimed to the lost and dying in this world. This we ask in his name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Father's Day is a special time for us. We reflect on who our fathers are and we remember the influence of our fathers in our life. And, and we fathers, we take this time to kind of look at our own lives and see how we've been as fathers. And, and I'll tell you, as we look at this passage, this was a convicting passage for me over the last few weeks as I looked at this. As it caused me to look at myself. Uh, we have another pastor with us this morning, Greg. I tried to get into preachers. I came down, told him he could even borrow my notes and he declined. But I'm sure Greg will tell you, much like I tell you, it's very rare if ever and I hope the answer is never that I stand in this pulpit and preach a message to you that first hasn't put me on my knees because of what God said to me this morning this is one of those beyond a shadow of a doubt see we take time on this day to be with our fathers we we want to spend time with our fathers we want to to do things with them but as we did this morning we we kind of recognize those fathers with us by those that have children but when we look at the Bible, when we look at the Bible and what it means to be a father, you know all of us who know God as our father, in some instance, have the responsibility of being a father to the rest of those who 
have come into the fold, into the church, so to speak, have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, there's been many, many fathers in my life who've, who have never had the opportunity to have children of their own. <laughs> Yet they've taken seriously, they've taken very seriously their walk with Christ, and they realize that the believers around them <laughs> need a little help in their walk with Christ. Can you identify with that needing a little help in your walk with Christ this morning? I know I, I know I can, and, and I know that many of these fathers have given of themselves. They've, they've given of what God has placed in their heart to help me along my journey. They've been a, a father to me, even though they've never had biological children of their own. So this morning as we talk about Father's Day, uh, men, if you don't have physical children, understand if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and He has placed you in this body, that you are a father to those who follow you in the faith this morning. And there are so many of you in the church that have been a father to me, and I don't even think you realize it along the journey. And that's the beauty of being a godly father. You brush up against those who come behind. You rub up against them, and you father them in, in their walk. So as we reflect today, as we, as we look at fathers, I want to take you to one of those greatest examples, I think, of, of what a father is in the Bible. So as we look at Abraham today, I want you to see the characteristics of a, of a father that apply not only to our relationship with our own children, but, but applies in great measure to our relationship with those in the, the church body, those new believers, those who are coming along behind us. And think about why God would have you where you are today in light of those who come behind you. You know, God doesn't just place you somewhere willy-nilly, so to speak, or, or just say, there's a church close to their home, I think I'll have them go there. No, He places you in the body of Christ in a very specific place for a very specific reason with a very specific plan. And this morning I want you to think about this example of Abraham and with his own son, but think about it in light of where God's placed you in the body. I titled the sermon today, Godly Men Raise Godly Men, because it is Father's Day, but I think it could have more appropriately been titled, Godly People Raise Godly People, because not only does this apply to uh, those who are older and, and have children, or, or those men in our church, but ladies, <laughs> this applies to you also. The Bible speaks tons about women looking after the women in the church and raising them up. So this morning, as we approach this this model of what it means to be a father as, as we approach uh, this look at our Father's Day message in Abraham, I want us to look at this godly people raising godly people. As we look at this passage, as we, we think about Abraham, as we kind of set him into this, this specific spot in his life that, that he happens to be at here with God and, and Abraham and a test of his faith, I want us to look at some things that we can apply to our lives. Let's look first and foremost, as, as I noticed about Abraham, that he chose to rely on God's plan. So the first thing in, in being a godly person who raises a godly person is you need to learn to rely on God's plan. Look at verse 22 as it started. It said, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. Now it said these things. <laughs> Notice there's nothing in the Bible by accident. Whenever it says these things, it doesn't spell out what these things are. You have to go find out what those things are. So let's take a tour back into the life of Abraham for a minute. Flip back with me to Genesis chapter 12. 
You might want to write these down because I'm not going to read any of these to you, really. You'll need to go search these out. We'd spend all day reading the scripture and never be through with, with it, much less the message if we read about all of the life of Abraham. But look back at Genesis chapter 12 in verse uh, number 1. Back in Genesis 12, verse number 1. It says this in the first three verses. Now the Lord said, uh, had said to Abram, Come out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you look at that Genesis chapter 12 passage, it gives you an idea about this plan for for Abraham's life. At this time, his name is Abram. His name is Abram and has not yet been changed to Abraham. And, and God lays before him, he lays before him this plan that he has, that God has specifically for Abraham. He lays before him that plan. And in verse 1, God tells Abraham that he is to leave, to leave his family and go into a land that will be shown to him. The first step in God's plan for Abraham is that he needed to be separated. He needed to be separated from everything that he knew and everything he depended on. Everything he knew and everything he depended on. In verse 2, he tells him, God tells him he will make from him this great nation. There will be this great nation and there will be blessings upon Abraham beyond measure. Just beyond measure. And then in verse 3, he went on to tell him, and Abraham, don't, don't worry, Abram. Don't worry. I will be your protection. If someone curses you, I will curse them. If, if they bless you, I will bless them. Don't worry, Abram. The plan is you need to leave. You need to leave that which is your foundation. You need to go where I haven't yet told you. <laughs> you have to realize that I'm going to make great things out of you. And you're going to be protected the whole way. That's a pretty easy plan to follow now, isn't it? If God showed up this morning and said, Brother Roger, move to Russia. Don't worry about what's going to happen. We're going to put you in Siberia because we know how much you like cold. Just head that direction. We're going to put you in place. Don't you worry about it. If anybody bothers you, I'm going to be your defense and I'm going to take care of all your needs. I would be rather foolish to say, God, I'm not real sure that that's the plan. But he told Abraham, Abram at this point, that this is the plan. And now Abraham has the plan. So what does he do with it? Verse 4 tells us, so Abraham departed. He had the plan, he packed up, and he moved out. Boy, it sounds like Abraham's right on target, isn't he? He's got the plan, he immediately packs up, and he leaves. He knew God's plan and that God had promised to be with him in it, so he followed God's plan. How did Abraham or Abram do with this plan? Look at verse 10 in that same chapter. In verse 10 it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. Whoa! How many times has God put a plan in your life, and suddenly it seems like a stumbling block jumps up in front of you? See, he told him, he said, move on. Don't worry about where you're going. I'll tell you, when you get there, don't worry about uh, uh, your provision that's going to be on me. Don't worry about people bothering your protections on me. And the first thing Abram runs into is a famine. So God calls Abram to follow his plan. He tells him to leave everything and go. And God promised to be his protection, to be his provision. And now Abraham finds himself in the midst of a famine. <laughs> and he decides... Let's go to Egypt. Egypt has plenty of things. Let's go to Egypt. We can survive in Egypt. Egypt's wealthy. He makes this decision that he's going to go there. And this is where we see the first crisis in Abraham's faith. 
The, the, the first crisis, after God has given him a plan, we see this crisis jump up in front of him. And how was Abraham's faith in God and his plan challenged in the story of Abram? See, Sarah, Abram's wife, was this beautiful lady. I think she looked much like my wife. Oh, okay, she's back there. I thought she might be in the nursery. I just wasted that one. She was a beautiful, beautiful lady. And as they were approaching Egypt, as they approached Egypt, Abram had this thought. All the men are going to look at her, and they're going to want her. Even Pharaoh may desire her because of her beauty. And he was so afraid that Pharaoh wanted her that he, in his mind, started thinking. He knew if Pharaoh wanted her, Pharaoh wouldn't stop at even having him killed to get her. He said, boy, I know we need to go to Egypt. That's, that's my plan. But there's an issue. So what, what does he do? What does he do? Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, Please say you are my sister, <laughs> that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Now, was he really caring much about his wife, Sarah, at this point? <laughs> so, had he been, he'd have turned tail and ran instead of going into Egypt. But it says, say that you, you are my, my sister. And look, he had the noblest of ideas. It's the noblest of ideas. He, he told her, do that for your good. <laughs> for your good, because then I'll live and I'll be able to take care of you. Oh, what a noble plan. Honey, just do this. It's for your good. See what happens when you divert from God's plan? See, he suddenly has this plan, and it made sense to him, but what was the problem? What was the problem with this plan? Obviously, he's out in the middle of nowhere, headed to the middle of nowhere, doesn't even know where it's at, and could possibly starve to death on the journey. So in his mind, it made sense. Let's go where the fast food's at. At least we'll survive. Oh, yeah, you just say you're my sister, you'll make it, I'll make it, and sooner or later we'll escape. I'm sure that's what was running through his head. So, so God had a plan, but what he had not called Abram to do was to come up with a new plan. That was the problem. See, God had a plan for his life. He didn't ask him to come up with a new plan. He was to follow God's plan. And aren't we guilty of that exact same thing in our life? God has a plan for us. Every one of you that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has a specific plan for your life. That plan fits in with the other plans and makes up the body of Christ for the glory of God. You see, His overarching plan is for His glory to be seen, that He may be seen for who He is, the Almighty God, the great I Am. Each of us have a piece in that puzzle to bring the glory to God, and it's a plan for your specific life. He made man, if you remember, and he placed him in the Garden of Eden so that he could demonstrate to man his love and he could fellowship with him. He made this garden perfect, if you remember. His plan was perfect. He gave man everything he needed. There was nothing missing from the garden that would fit the needs of man. <laughs> and so that man could demonstrate his love for God, he gave him one simple rule. Just one. Just one. If you remember Genesis 2.17, he says, Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have everything else. I gave it to you because I love you, 
And so that you can demonstrate your love and obedience to me, I ask one thing of you. Don't eat of that tree. One tree. (laughs) We know the rest of the story. (laughs) Man made his own plan. God had a plan. Was his plan perfect? Absolutely. But God made his own plan. Or man made his own plan. Man decided that, huh, that tree looks really good. Wow. Did God really say that we couldn't? Man made his own plan and took of the tree that God had said, no, you shouldn't. That's where sin entered the world. But that didn't change God's plan. See, understand that it didn't change God's plan. God didn't say, didn't see that coming, let's get a new plan. No, it didn't change God's plan. God still intended to be glorified in His creation. He still intended to show His love to mankind. We know how He did that. We heard it sung about this morning. Behind me on the wall is the two beams that crossed in the middle that demonstrated to us that God loved us with everything He had. See, His plan never changed. He created a plan. Man came up with his own plan. But God's plan never changed. His plan was for you to know that he loved you and he proved it through the death of his only begotten son on a cross that that he may be glorified and that you may be redeemed from sin. You see, his plans never changed. And because God has redeemed us and, and Jesus has become the Lord of our life, God has a plan for each of us that fits within his bigger plan and though each of us though each of us play a different role in the plan the plan's the same the ultimate end of the plan is the same for God to be glorified and for lost sinners to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior you see the plan God has for you individually may look different than the plan he has for me but it all points to the same direction God in this season of my life has a plan for me to be pastor of Morris Creek Baptist Church For some of you, he has a plan for you to be a deacon within the church. For some, he has a plan for you to teach Sunday school or or Bible studies or vacation Bible schools like it's going to be happening this week. For others, for others, he has a plan for, for you to personally come alongside a new Christian and mentor them in their walk and spend a lot of time with that young person, growing them up in the faith. But there's one thing that's for sure. There's one thing that for sure. God has a plan. God has a plan for each of you and for me. And it is not just that we go to heaven. See, the plan isn't just that at the end of the day we wind up in a place called heaven. You know how I know that's not the plan? If you say you know Jesus Christ, I'm still looking at you. If the plan was for you to go to heaven, what are you doing here? See, it's not the plan that you just wind up in heaven. The plan is for His glory. And no matter the part that He has planned for you, He definitely has a plan for you. And often we're like Abram. Often we're like Abram when things get difficult in God's plan. When things get a little rough in God's plan. When you hit a season in your life where it seems like everything's against you and nothing's for you, you decide you'll give God a helping hand. You decide you'll just help Him out. And we'll take a path of least resistance. We're all human. We're all human. We'd much rather take a path of least resistance than to battle through things in life. But God doesn't need a new plan. God needs us to rely on His plan. God already has it all worked out. 
God had it all worked out in Abram's life. It was already all worked out. Pharaoh's sin at the end of, of chapter 12 and 13, Pharaoh sends this Abram and Sarah in the bunch away. Once he finds out that, sure enough, this isn't his sister, he sends them away. And he didn't send them away broke or brokenhearted. He sent them away rich, it tells us in 13.2. All kinds of livestock and stuff. He said, just leave. Take whatever you can put on the... Just take them and go. They left with more than they came in with. Aren't you glad God's a God of forgiveness? (laughs) You see, and and you would think that Abraham would have learned his lesson. You would think at this point in his life, he's heard the plan. He's deviated from the plan. Disaster struck. God blessed him anyway. And he came up. You would think he'd learned the plan. You only have to flip over a page or so in your Bible to chapter 15 of Genesis to find out that God restores a covenant with him in chapter 15. It tells the story of this covenant between God and and Abram. How God would give Abram an heir that would lead to his family being greater than the stars of the skies and the sand on the sea. He would would come out with a, a family that when he looked up and God said, count the stars, Abram said, there's there's no way he says, yeah, you're going you're to have more in your family than that. And he says, look at the sand on the beach. How many grains? I have no idea. Telling, he says, yeah, your, your family's going to be. Wow. God had given him a plan back we saw at 12. He, he reiterated, made this covenant with him in 15. and said, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Wow, what a promise. And, and Abram surely had learned his lesson in Egypt. And, and he's going to follow God's plan. But then comes chapter 16. Think of chapter 16. See, at 12, he gets the plan. He blows it. At 13, 14, you see it, it blown. 15, God reiterates within the covenant. And then chapter 16 shows up. Chapter 16. See, Sarah, Abram's wife, is barren. Can't, can't have children. God's made the promise to him over here when he says, you're going to have these children and they're, they're going to be greater. Than, and Abram realizes his wife is barren. See, they were both kind of getting a little old in age. You know, I turned 53 and we have our grandson on the weekend and I realize now why God gave children to young people. They had 53 well surpassed at this point in their life. And and she's barren, they're they're old age, so to help God out, they come up with a plan. They come up with a plan. We know what the plan is. Abram would take one of, of Sarai's maidservants and have a child with her, so there would be the child. There would be the child that they thought, the child of this promise, this child of this promise. How did this plan work out? You know the story. You know the story. He did have a son. They named him Ishmael, and, and then the problem started. But between Sarai and, and, and Hagar, Ishmael's mother, there was this resentment and contention within the camp, and, and problems arose later between Ishmael and, and the real son of promise, Isaac. And do you realize what you read about in the news today in the Middle East is a continuation of that very problem? Do you realize that? When you read about the conflict in the Middle East, it's an Ishmael-Isaac issue. See, they made their own plan. <laughs> they made their own plan. But God, but God was faithful to his plan. It tells us in Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2, it says, So, he says, I am Almighty God. Chapter 17, verse 1, he says, Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me 
and you and will multiply you exceedingly. See, God is still faithful to his plan. All the deviation that Abraham had made did not change God's plan. God offers Abraham redemption, renews his covenant with him. And this covenant results in a son we read about where we started. His name is Isaac. It's the son of promise. Given to Abraham and Sarah in, in old age with the promise that God would multiply through him Abraham's seed. And that he would be blessed. And not only would he be blessed, but the world would be blessed. Mankind would be blessed. And that brings us where we were in God's plan. As I started reading in the 22nd chapter, Abraham leading Isaac, the son of promise, to a mountain to offer him on the mountain, on an altar, as a sacrifice. Kind of a strange plan God has here, isn't it? And... And what is Abraham's response to the plan? He relies on it. It tells us in that Genesis 22, 6 passage, uh, 22, verse number 6, it says, So Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, uh, of the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Oh, Abraham must have learned his lesson. He must have learned to rely on God's plan because his plans had so often failed. He didn't know how, but he knew God had a plan. He didn't need to know how because he knew the God of the plan. You see, we also need to know that God has a plan in our lives and we can rely on God's plan. Why? Because God is sovereign over all things and he is faithful to what he says. And that's what Abraham realized. We need to be faithful to God and to his plan and we need to rely on his plan. But second, very quickly, we need to remember his promises in that Genesis 22 passage, verses 7 and 8, it says, But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. He remembered God's promises. Isaac knew enough about sacrifices to realize there was something missing. There was something that wasn't here. Apparently, he had been to sacrifice, to worship with his father before, which is a key point. From a very early age, he had seen this sacrificial system, the worship of that day, and he realized it required wood for a burnt offering. It required fire to set it on, on fire, and it required a lamb. He knew there was two of the three things present. He knew that there was something missing. And here's the important lesson we need to learn. Abraham could have reasoned. Abraham could have reasoned with Isaac about what was going on. He could have explained, Isaac, it's such an honor to give yourself in full service to God. It would be such an honor for God to use you as a sacrifice. He could have said, Isaac, it would just be such so pleasing to God for you to lay on the altar. He could have also, he could have also said to him, because that Abraham could have just looked at Isaac and said, you know what, Isaac, don't, don't worry about that sacrificial lamb. I've been to this mountain before it's covered in animals we'll be good just come along he could have just reasoned with him that yeah, surely Isaac we can find an acceptable sacrifice on this mountain this mountain's covered in animals he could have taken his time to logically walk through with Isaac and explain to him that yeah God's got a plan and I'm sure we're, we're gonna find something Isaac don't worry about it but instead of looking at the situation through his own reasoning and the lens of the world, Abraham chose to do what we need to learn to do. He remembered God's promises, and he spoke those promises into the life of that one coming behind him. See, he didn't go to his reasoning. He went to the Word. 
Abraham didn't rely on his craftiness. He spoke that which he knew to be true. God had promised that Abraham would have a son. And through this son, all of humanity would be affected. His family would be multiplied. And if God promised it, then Abraham knew one thing. It was true. He knew it was true. And instead of choosing to question God, he had faith in God and demonstrated the faith to the glory of God when he spoke that promise into his son's life. You see, he could have come up with a thousand ways to explain away that situation of no lamb to Isaac. But he, told to t- he chose to tell him what God had told him, I will provide. I will provide. You see, in verse 8, he just looks his son in the eye and says, My son, God will provide. He was saying God has a plan. God... God will be faithful to his plan. And he knew this because of the promises of God. When we're faced with situations in our life, when we're faced with situations that put us at odds with God's plan, we need to rely on his plan, but we need to do it not out of obedience. We need to do it out of faith. Obedience is following the law. Faith is trusting what God said to be true. We need to demonstrate and speak our faith in God and His plan to those around us. We, how do we ever expect? How do we ever expect a, a new Christian to make right, godly decisions in their life if, if they don't see those decisions in our life and they don't hear us telling of the fact we made that decision in our life because of God? See, we need to speak into their life what God is doing in our life. Abraham believed that God would be faithful to his plan. He had no question that he would be faithful. Even if Isaac's life was required for the sacrifice, you knew what he believed? God would raise him from the dead. Why? Because God had promised. Through him would come the multitude, would come the blessing. If God chose to take his life that third day, by the way, when they reached the mountain, he knew that God would raise him from the dead because he would be faithful to his plan. He trusted He trusted, he relied on his plan, and he remembered his promises. And lastly, very quickly, very quickly, he rejoiced in God's provision. You know, there's a part. There's a part of this message that we all leave off, it seems like, at times. And it's this part. Rejoicing in God's provision. Look at chapter 22 of Genesis again, down in the ninth verse. It says, Then they came to the place in which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And it says that Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he gave his patent answer. Here I am. (laughs) I'm sure this time he was glad to hear a voice. (laughs) And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham did as God had told him. He led Isaac to the place that, that God had for the sacrifice. He put the altar together with the wood. He bound Isaac. He laid him up on top of that altar. He took his knife. He drew it above his head with the intent of slaying his only son because God had said that was the plan. <laughs> and God spoke. God responded. He responded whenever he says, don't lay a hand on that lad. Don't do anything to him for now I know that your faith is real. Don't do it. Don't touch him. God stopped Abraham from killing Isaac to sacrifice him on that burning altar. But God had sent to the mountain his own sacrifice. 
He had sent to that mountain his own sacrifice. He had sent Abraham up there with his son to lay him on the altar. He stopped that sacrifice. Did it change God's plan? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Verse 13 tells us, And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was the quietest ram that has ever been made in all the world, caught in the thicket by its horns. He'd gone up the mountain. He had built an altar, laid his son on it, raised a knife to kill him, and there stuck in a bush behind him was the sacrifice, the ram. God had provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac. And we know this sacrifice, this picture, points to you and me on a hill called Mount Calvary. See, we know this points there. I don't think it's any coincidence they were three days out when they found the mountain. I don't think it's any coincidence that that God said, take your only son. See, God provided his only son on a cross for us as the knife was coming down on our life because of the choices we had made. God provided for us a sacrifice, and he did it through his only son, Jesus Christ. How did Abraham respond? Here's the beauty. Here's the part that we leave off. Here's the part we forget. We rely on God's plan, and we, and we remember his promises, and God gets us through it, and then we pull up short when it comes to this. Look at verse 14. It says, And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Do you know what that speaks of? That speaks of Abraham's worship. This place became important to him. He was rejoicing in God's provision to the point he even named the place. My Lord, the Lord will provide. He broke down. He broke down at the end of the sacrifice and had a praise service. He had this praise service for God. And he and Isaac, who had just learned the valuable lesson of relying on God's plan and remembering God's promise, is now learning the lesson of rejoicing when God provides. You see, for generation after generation, God's faithfulness was remembered because of this. It says, to this day it's still called, the Lord will provide. To this day, we still read the story and we remember in our life that God is our provision. So the question then, fathers, church really, those who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you recognize that God has a plan in your life? Do you recognize? Are you today relying on God's plan or or are you trying to change that plan to make it more convenient in your life? Can you look back? Can you look backward at the choices that you've made and say that you've relied on God's plan and God's plan only? If not, like Abraham, like Abraham, we can find forgiveness for that sin. To not do that which God has told us to do is a sin. If we have chosen not to do the plan and take our own path, it is a sin. It is not a mistake. It is not a bad choice. It's sin. And we can do just as Abraham did. We can find forgiveness for that sin in our life. and We can get back into fellowship with God. It requires us to come before the Almighty God who provided a sacrifice for us and ask for forgiveness of sin in our life. For those times that we took His plan and changed it to our plan. When faced with decisions in your life, when faced with decisions in your life, do you first remember what God has promised you? Or do you make a decision based on your own reasoning? You see, if there's one thing that needs to change within the body of Christ, 
It is at all the answers you ever need or you can find between the two covers of your Bible. CNN, Fox News, any politician is put on the platform and elected to do anything does not override what God gives us in His Word. It's time the church decides to turn off the TV and turn on the Word of God. It's time that we start looking at every decision that we make in our life based on what God says, not what any other man says, including this man in the pulpit if it isn't from there. We need to look at the Word of God. And can you say, can you really say in your life as you make decisions, your first part of decision making is the Bible? If it's not, that's a sin in our life. You may say, how do I know what God's promised? It comes from consuming, spending time in the Word, having discussions like I was able to have on Wednesday night as I sat around with another brother in Christ and we talked and I, I even asked, I said, you don't get to have conversations like this very often. To sit, and the conversation was completely biblically centered about world problems, so to speak, or life's problems. Completely biblical centered. We never pointed to what a psychologist said or what we heard on the news. It was refreshing. It was refreshing. You know, you do that by knowing the Word, by consuming the Word, to seek out what He has planned for us, to spend time on our knees before Him, asking Him to lead and guide us in that. See, are you communicating? Are you then communicating what you learn from God from the Word to those who follow? Are you just telling them what they should do? Or are you telling them why they should do it? See, to raise up godly men, godly people, we need to be speaking God's truth into their life. Don't just tell them this is what you should do. Say, God says, and you give it to them. I was talking to someone else yesterday. I said, well, sometimes I hate to get in discussion with people because they think I'm telling them what I believe or, or what I said. That's why I just use the Bible. That takes me out of the fight. Then they got to fight with God, not me. Tell them what the Word says. Or are you just spend, spending most of your time discussing the right and wrong decisions based solely on human reasoning? See, we need to spend time speaking truth into others' lives. And then we need to rejoice. When God responds with provision in our life, when God responds to our faithfulness to His plans, we need to break out in a praise service. We don't need to look like we bought a whole truckload of lemons and we decided we would suck on them when we come to church. We need to come into church saying, God's been faithful in my life, and let me tell you how. See, you want to lift your brother in Christ up? Tell him what God's doing in your life. Because that gives him hope. Gives you something you can grasp onto. It's not just a story on a page, it's a story in your life that rubs up into their life and gives them hope. Speak into the life of those around you through your praise and rejoicing in what God does in your life. And finally, I ask you this question Are you truly in love with God? See, that's where it really comes down to. Are you truly in love with God? See, if you're truly in love with God, do you want to do everything that God says because God did everything for you that you couldn't do? You want to respond in kind as He responded to you. When you had a debt in your life you could not pay, He paid it through the death of His only begotten Son on a cross. The least that I can do is follow wholeheartedly the plan that God has in my life if He was willing to give His life in place of mine. That's called being in love with God. You know, if we're in love with God, we'll want to see those behind us become godly Christians, walking the Christian life. I realize I have way less days ahead of me than I have behind me. 
I have way less days to live for Christ in front of me than I have behind me. How is the message of Christ going to continue? It'll be in those young ones. How can I best glorify God in my life? By relying on His plan. By just relying on His plan completely. By remembering what He has done in my life and communicating that to those who follow. And then by praising Him, rejoicing in His provision in my life. Is that the story of your life this morning? Fathers? Mothers? Those members of the church? If not, maybe today. Maybe today is the day that you make that your story. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.